My name is Jared, and um, I am I'm glad to be reading from God's Word this morning. John chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 35 through 40. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Thanks be to God for his word. In light of God's word, let's pray together. Father, we are comforted by those words that, and that promise that all that you give to the Son will not be lost, including us in this room. Father, that you would even raise us up on the last day. Lord, we thank you that that's true of all of those who have turned from our sins and trusted in Christ. And Lord, as we come to Christ's word now, Father, we pray that you would feed us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Single, married, Rich, poor, middle class, young, old, introverted, extroverted, corky, normal, weak, powerful, successful, Struggling, brilliant, average, athletic, and the not so much, black, white, brown, Jared with blonde locks, Isaac with dreadlocks, and so much more. Friends, what do all these different types of people have in common? We are all welcome to come to Jesus. Good morning, beloved. My name is Isaac Adams, and I bring you greetings from Iron City Church. It's a joy to be with you all today. Your pastor, KJ, and his family have been family to me in a welcoming face as I'm new to town. I just moved to Alabama Recently, coming up on a year here, uh, I am not from here. Uh, in fact, KJ's dad took me to my first Alabama football game ever. A cultural experience, indeed. 
It wasn't last night, but last year. Okay. Uh, and yet, and yet, today we are going to be meditating on something so much better than football. We're going to be thinking about the freeness of salvation. The freeness of salvation. And let me just say that if at any point you are encouraged by the sermon, you feel free to shout out amen, okay, as you've already done. It will not bother me at all as we think about the freeness of salvation. And by that, I mean how widely God offers salvation, how indiscriminately he offers it. Beloved, the good news of the gospel is not just that salvation is free, but also that it's free to all, for all. No one is barred from coming to God except those who reject God. No one is barred from coming to God except those who reject God. That's what sin fundamentally is, rejection of God. All of us have sinned. All of us are without excuse before God, and so we deserve God's wrath. And friends, I know this is a hard word, but what we're considering today is not primarily hard. It is sweet. How? Turn to John 6. John 6, that passage Jared just read to us. There we find Jesus who has walked on water and just miraculously fed 5,000 people. And he goes on to explain that he, not the food he supernaturally gave them, but he is their greatest need. And yet, his own people did not believe him. Which brings us to what Jesus says in our verse, John 6, 37. Let's read it now. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, Whoever. Friends, that word, whoever, is the word I want us to meditate on as we think about the blessings of salvation which are made free to all by the gospel. So at my church, Iron City, uh, right now we're doing a series of sermons in which we have one sermon on an entire book. You might call them overview sermons. Uh, so this evening when our church family meets, we meet in the evening, uh, Lord willing, I'll be preaching on the gospel of Mark. And one reason we're preaching overview sermons is because I think it helps put together our Bibles. Uh, it helps us see that one story that God is telling in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And it's a great altitude to look at scripture from, just like when you're on a plane and you look out and see, okay, so this is how the city is laid out. This is what's going on here. So we're doing overview sermons, a kind of 30,000 foot view of a book. It's a helpful altitude from which to read scripture. But that is not the only way to read, preach, or meditate on scripture. No, we could take one word of the Bible and twirl it around like a diamond. 
and think about it. Squeeze it and see what juice comes to mix my metaphors. And I say all that to say this morning, we're not flying at 30,000 feet. We're going to sea level instead. We're going to take out our magnifying glass and stare at one word in John 6, 37. Whoever. That word. If you're taking notes, circle that word, whoever, in John 6, 37. That's the word we'll think about this morning as we meditate on the freeness of God's salvation. What can we learn from this meditation? Three things. Number one, anyone can come to Jesus. Point number one. Anyone can come to Jesus. Jesus said, whoever comes to me. Not whoever cleans themselves up enough and comes to me. Not whoever has all their questions answered and comes to me with enough faith. Kids, Jesus doesn't say whoever is old enough can come to me. No, kids, friends, Jesus simply says whoever Now, there are stipulations to be sure. The come to Jesus in no small part means we're signing up to do what he wants, even if it's not what we want. And we'll talk more about this soon. But friends, my question for you now is this. Are you surprised by that simple word, whoever? Does it arrest you as that as one historic Baptist confession states, nothing prevents the salvation of the greatest sinner on earth? Who is the greatest sinner you know? Don't look at them if they're here. <laughs> Just think about it. And if you were tempted to look at someone else, I'd submit to you that the greatest sinner you know is the person you see in the mirror. That said, I understand in normal human experience, we all have a category for people who are more obviously a mess, who who more obviously have a ton of sin in their life. Earlier, I said all of us are sinners, and that's true, but it's also true that different sins lead to different natural consequences that manifest themselves more evidently, more tragically. So I think of a recent person I met in Washington, D.C. It's my hometown, where I was before Birmingham. Uh, I had scheduled a lunch with a white man whom I had heard of and was introduced to, but I didn't really know him. So in he walks, and he is as old as a grandpa and as sweet as one, too. You'd never guess it from looking at him now, but decades ago, this man, Tom, was a member of the KKK. He hated black people. He bombed the homes of Jews. He served time in prison. Now, we would all agree Tom was a great sinner. But guess what happened? In prison, he came to faith in a greater Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who radically changed his life. And at our lunch, Tom and I talked about how happy we were to be brothers. And friends, if there's hope for Tom, there's hope for you. Anyone can come to Jesus. My question for you, ABC, 
Alberta Baptist Church is this. Do you share the gospel as if that's true? Do you pray as if that's true? Who are some of your evangelistic yeah-rights? Like if someone put a megaphone to your thoughts, we'd hear, yeah, right. Will that person ever come to Jesus? You know, Kimberly, that girl who was drunk last night at the Utah State game, you think she'd come to Jesus? Yeah, right. But beloved, if I looked at Tom's life when he was making that pipe bomb, I would have said, yeah, right. If you would have looked at my life when I was a freshman in college, acting a fool, you would have said, yeah, right. But Jesus says, whoever comes to me, anyone can come to Jesus. And as John 6.37 says, all that the Father gives the Son will, will, not may, will come. And that means the Father, the means the Father uses for them to come is people like us sharing the gospel. So pray for surprising people. Scatter the gospel widely because after all, we don't know who belongs to the Father and who doesn't. Could be anyone and anyone can come to Jesus. And that means different people will come to Jesus. What can we learn from meditating on the freeness of salvation? Point number two, different people will come to Jesus. Different people will come to Jesus. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, not whoever among this particular political party, not whoever among this race or ethnicity, not whoever in this certain socioeconomic class, not whoever from this country, not whoever gets these grades in school, kids. No, he says kids, friends, whoever. Isaac and KJ, Doris Barden and Chase Callahan, Jacob Reed and Gabe Shivers, Single Michael Patrick and Ethan Blankenship. (laughs) Who is not single. (laughs) Has lots of kids. You get it. Different people come to Jesus. I mean, even looking at your church website, ABC. I saw y'all partner with Haiti over here, the Haiti Collective, and a church in France, and you have to have different kind of partnerships as a church because different kinds of people come to Jesus, amen? That, that different people come to Jesus, that's what King David showed us. It's not just a New Testament truth, it's a whole Bible truth. There's a passage in 1 Samuel 22 that I love that talks about how all these different types of people gathered around David. It said, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter and so gathered to him. Does that sound like anyone else you know? Different types of people, beloved, did not gather around David because he was nice on the harp. 
but because David foreshadowed the ministry of a greater king to come who would have a diverse following. The Jewish apostle Peter and the Roman soldier Cornelius. You can read about them in Acts 10. And thinking of Peter, I think we do well to think about Jesus' disciples for a moment. Because brothers and sisters, sometimes I think we can think of Jesus' disciples as if they were kind of awe-cultural. When we just think about them in the abstract, like they were just Jesus' friends, just a bunch of neutral dudes. But they were normal humans, just like you and me, which means they had backgrounds and cultures and jobs and opinions and preferences and sin, which means they would wrongly elevate all those other things about themselves. Just think of Matthew, the tax collector, the slimy servant of the oppressor Rome, and Simon the zealot, the Robin Hood, who worked against Rome. Two different men who came to the God-man Jesus. I love this. He took people from these two polar opposite sides and said, y'all are going to be in a new small group together. (laughs) Here's how one pastor said it. As he spoke about Jesus' diverse group of followers, he said, Matthew was a tax collector who loved Rome. Simon was a Jewish zealot who hated Rome. They came to Jesus with radically different political views, yet found unity in Jesus. Matthew learned to love Rome less. Simon learned to love Rome more. They both learned to love Jesus most. Brothers and sisters, may we love Jesus most. If we do, our churches will show a divided and dividing world a different world. But friends, we can't do that if we wrongly divide from each other over our differences. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if you've cast out of your heart a fellow church member whom Jesus has welcomed into his because they differ from you. Imagine this. Imagine your best friend is throwing a party, a feast. And at this party is your favorite food. Uh, So for me, it's fried calamari, right? I'm just like, oh, this party is going to be off the chain. Just imagine you're at your favorite party with your favorite food, your favorite music, your favorite people. Someone knocks at the door, you look up expecting to see another person you love walk in, and in walks your enemy. And to make matters worse, your best friend who's throwing the party invited them and walks over to them and gives them a huge hug, as big of a hug as they gave you. Friends, what would you be thinking? I'd be standing there, jaw dropped, calamari falling out of my mouth, being like, what? What is happening? Now, imagine if I walked over to my enemy at the party, grabbed them by the collar, and shoved them back out the door. My best friend would rightly look at me and say, Isaac, who do you think you are? It's not your place to disinvite anyone from this party that you did not plan or pay for. 
But friends, isn't it scary how easy it is to throw people out of God's party, if only in our own hearts, when we don't like how they differ from us? When we, let's be honest, think we're better than them. Isn't that what we see in the prodigal son's brother in Luke 15? Isn't that what we see in Jonah scorning the Ninevites' salvation? Friends, is it what you see in your own heart? If it is, repent. And remember that greater than any of our differences are two things we all have in common. Number one, we're all made in God's image. KJ was teaching that to the college students downstairs right before we got up here. We're all made in God's image. Number two, we're all in desperate need of Jesus. So we might look at someone and think, Republican, ugh. Democrat, ugh. White, ugh. Young, ugh. College student, ugh. Non-college student, ugh. Or try this one on for size. He wore a mask during the pandemic. Ugh. She didn't wear a mask during the pandemic. Ugh. We might say those things. But Jesus says, whoever comes to me. Anyone can come to Jesus. Different people will come to Jesus, which means finally you can come to Jesus, and you should. What can we learn from meditating on the freeness of salvation? Point number three, you can come to Jesus, and you should. Jesus will never cast you out. In Psalm 27, the psalmist writes, my father and my mother, the most foundational relationships in his life. My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. In 2 Kings 17, God explains the exile of Israel, saying he cast them out of his sight because of their sin. Friend, that is exactly what Jesus will never do to you if you come to him in faith. Why? Because he was already cast out of God's presence on behalf of all of those who would trust in him by faith. On the cross, Jesus experienced to an infinite degree what Adam and Eve experienced after they sinned, exile from, uh, from fellowship with God. Uh, on the cross, Jesus, who lived a per the perfect life, the life you and I could never live, he died in the place of sinners, taking the wrath the aggravated condemnation we deserve for our sins. And Jesus was raised three days later so that anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him would be forgiven of their sins and welcomed into his family forever. If you're here and you're not a Christian, Hear this gentle but clear command from God, come. Stop trying to run your own life. 
Trust in what Jesus did on the cross in your place. Come to him in faith today. Doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, how sad you are, how bad you are. Jesus says, whoever, meaning you, come. And if you are a Christian, this is not a one-time deal. Like we come to Jesus and then we go on with the rest of our lives? No, beloved. Like the tide of the shore, we're coming back for more. Brothers and sisters, we're only saved once, of course, but we keep coming back to Jesus. We don't ever leave. Where else would we go? He has the word of life. What else could we do? He's done it all. I love that earlier in John 6, people asked Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Such a practical question. What do I got to be doing to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. In other words, believe in Jesus and keep believing in Jesus. Do you see the surprising simplicity? Cam, if we asked a bunch of hardworking Birmingham types who didn't have the grace of God, hey, how do you do the, how do you do the works of God? You'd get all these complicated answers, full of ingenuity and striving for the next level of spirituality. But Jesus simply says, believe in me. And does it surprise you? The one who is so holy, Jesus would always welcome you if you do. It should. But then again, the more we get to know Jesus, maybe it's not so surprising after all. He, after all, is the one who came. He is the Lamb of God that we behold. We'll sing about that in a moment. And so we rise to respond, to remember. Christianity is real simple. Believe, remember, believe, remember. Jesus says, whoever. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are not stingy or partial with salvation. We thank you for the call that is free to all in this room to come to you. And we pray that your spirit would have us do what we cannot do in our own strength. We pray your spirit would have us come. And behold, the Lamb of God. In his name we pray. Amen.